Hello to you all and welcome to the Pitcast by us here at the Pit Crew Online from the fans for the fans. We're, we are debriefing today as it has been the British Grand Prix over the weekend uh, and to debrief with me my name is Luca. Uh, I have here joined with me uh, Deputy Editor James. Hi Luca. Hello. Um, the crew chief himself, Editor-in-Chief Simon. Hi Luca. It's Luca, not Luke. Yes, it's Luca. <laughs> it, well, it cut off when you said Luca. Okay. And, and, that, and next, our stat man, Chris. Evening. Okay, well, there's a lot to get through. We're, we're planning on previewing the, uh, the Grand Prix this weekend as well. Um, but I first want to start off talking about the big news that came out from this before we even turned the wheel. Sergio Perez became the first F1 driver to be diagnosed with the coronavirus, and as a result, he missed the, the Grand Prix. We'll get to who, got, who we ended up finding to replace him. But first, I want to talk about how efficient this, um, these, this, com, this issue, obviously, has been combated. Um, ever since F1 postponed its 2020 season, uh, we got back going in Austria uh, in like early July. Uh, and they have been testing like dozens of times with everyone in the paddock taking the, the, re- the relevant safety measures. And we've had three diagnoses so far, two of which were from people in Hungary who weren't present in either of the Austrian races. And now Sergio Perez. Now, there's something that needs to be said here because um, I think between the two Austrian races, Valtteri Bottas and Charles Leclerc decided to go back to Monaco. And whilst Bottas, um, he stayed within his like little bubble. Leclerc was being a bit of an idiot and went to some kind of party, and very, could have potentially have um, really screwed over a lot of people by by doing that if he'd been diagnosed with the coronavirus. Which thankfully he didn't. Lucky escape there. But Perez, he went to his home country, Mexico, which, where they don't have the virus very well contained. Um, because his mum had been involved in an accident, but was apparently seen in a restaurant posing with fans, and then went to Italy and then Britain, and this happened. So, um, James, I want to ask you first: uh, this uh, this effort to combat and contain any people with the virus, it does seem to potentially go undone very quickly if these F1 drivers are just going to end up going wherever they want. Yeah, I mean, it, um, it was obviously, you know, once it was established that Perez had, um, or even when he had the inconclusive test, it was dealt with very quickly within the paddock, because I think he had the test on was it Thursday afternoon, and then by Thursday evening, he'd had a second test that came back positive, so he knew for sure what was happening. Um, he was isolating, the rest, the team members he'd been in contact with were isolating. So within the paddock, it was dealt with very, very quickly, but... Yeah, I haven't been following what the drivers have been getting up to outside of the races, but I was aware that, um, yeah, about the photos of Perez posing with fans. Um, Yeah, they're in a tricky position because obviously for F1 to go ahead, they need to stick with these sort of social bubbles um, for it to work. But obviously when they're not at a race, you know, you can't expect all the drivers and all the team personnel to just stay near a circuit away from their families for um for the entirety of the year um but then you have got to weigh in that factor of they've got to be responsible even when they do go home not going out to restaurants posing with fans not going out to parties um yeah because you know it's kind of it's scuppered Perez's season quite a bit because he's missed this week he's missed the last weekend he's likely to miss this weekend um and with such a kind of compressed season like this he's missed out on a chunk of points um and when you think of someone like Bottas or Leclerc or Hamilton, you know, that's there. If they miss a couple of races, that's, uh, that's quite a large part of the season missed for them um, and quite a crucial part of the season wherever it falls missed for them. So, yeah, they have got to be quite responsible even when they're not at, not at a Grand Prix. Um, but I understand it is hard when you're back home to think, yeah, one, one trip to a restaurant won't hurt, but evidently it may well have done. And uh, Perez is the driver who is very much um, 
in the limelight, not even before his coronavirus test, because we know that he is a he's a known quantity. Uh, he's a very solid midfield driver. He could have potentially in the top team been very successful had he had that opportunity. But now um, there is this potential that his seat looks to be the one under threat when uh, when Racing Point become Aston Martin next year. They're looking to sign either Vettel or maybe even like Verstappen or whoever, and it does. Does make you think like Perez was being very, very reckless, wasn't he? Who wants to take that? Well, I don't think so. I don't. Well, personally, he 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 didn't take a um, he private jetted to Mexico. He's he's his mum. Um, he saw his mother. He had an accident. I, I didn't actually see the sort of put with the fans I mean Norris he went to after the race we'll get into that in a minute he, he, he was seen at a McDonald's like you know <laughs> and if you cut you cut and you know he's, he's one to with the fans and stuff like that he, he, he's like always last at the track for example but he, he was seen at McDonald's you can't live you can't live um mm. but I, I think he was just unfortunate I mean he's asymptomatic He's, he's, he's just going to miss two races unfortunately the whole, whole situation um, but with, 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 the, with the circumstance of, of COVID it's just uh, going to one way or another going to hit us all but they've treated it well the three mechanics that he uh, saw um, within racing point they got their test back negative and uh, they're, they're either not needed at the track or and that's the benefit of racing point as well. It's only down the road um from Silverstone. So they won't I don't mean actually got back into Silverstone. So they're either back at uh, their homes and uh, they'll probably be either used later in the season or be off to Spain for the race in uh, two weeks time. And um racing point well we'll we'll get to this I think you know let's move on to this now. The guy that they got to replace Perez to take a seat in such an alarmingly um, like hectic 72 hour space. He was in wherever he was, um, just thinking about, oh, what should I do this weekend? Oh, I, and apparently he was going to be commentating on TV as well. Nico Hulkenberg, former Renault F1 driver, uh, is now back in Formula One at, for this weekend and next weekend. And, uh, well, Simon, that I think it's quite convenient the fact that the the first team to get a driver test positive was the one that had it there basically next door to the to the track and so Holkenberg could go through all the relevant um procedures to uh to get back ready for the f for the grand prix yeah it was very good chances really but uh as you saw on his social media he he was one minute he was having breakfast at a cafe and the next he was on a plane and and on his way to, to Silverstone. I don't think he actually had a, a seat fitting before he jumped in the car, so he, he was actually driving it on the, the Friday at least without his seat, so he wouldn't have been, you know, his most comfortable. But he was, you know, he's pretty much on the pace, and I think it's a real shame we didn't get to see him race. Even for a few laps, if he'd got those few laps in, this weekend could have been totally different. Um, Lance was, was blindingly fast in that car. And you can't help but think that that Nico would is the better driver with more experience. What could he actually do? Uh, it should be interesting this weekend. It's always interesting when we have one of these so-called super subs in. And I, I remember you know, uh, Nigel coming in after the tra tragic events of Imola towards the end of the season. You know, they had DC in the car and then they dumped DC, DC out of the car for Adelaide and put Nigel in it. And you know the excitement that, that generates. It's it's just, but I think it's a really good thing. I'd like to see more of that, but not not with COVID. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> I'm suggesting everyone goes. In, you know, it just brings up that you know that something to talk about. You know, God forbid this happens at uh, Mercedes or a, a Ferrari. Who would take those seats? You know, it just opens those questions and those topics to talk about. Makes social media are interesting to pop in and out of and, and luckily Sergio is asymptomatic as you say so 
could have been worse. Well, there's a replacement um, jinx in a moment, to be fair. Oh, yes, You've got, yes. you got to think of the last two drivers that have done it. The rest are for Massa, he retired. Mm. Then you've got Button for Alonso when he done Indy. And then, well, Hulkenberg didn't even believe in start the race, so. I do want to bring up something. Um, so Mercedes, Racing Point and McLaren all have like a similar, uh, the same pool of drivers uh, for like in this circumstance. And they would have had either Van Dorn, Stoffel Van Dorn, who is uh, drive, who's driving for Mercedes in Formula E right now, and Esteban Gutierrez. Now Van Dorn couldn't be there because he had to be ready um, for the Berlin, what's it called when it's, you know, when it's like six of events. Okay, we'll just go with that. Six events in Berlin for the Formula E finale. And Gutierrez, <laughs> in, a, in a really terrible stroke of luck, Gutierrez's super license expired on the 30th of July, <laughs> which was because his last proper road race was at, in an IndyCar race on the 30th of July, 2017. What a mm. rotten bit of luck that is. I don't know why he hasn't been racing more, frankly. But yeah, um, Hulkenberg, we all wanted that fairy tale podium for him, but it didn't seem to happen. And um, do, what do we reckon he can do in this weekend's race, assuming if the jinx that Chris refers to doesn't happen? Uh, James, what do you think will happen? Um, I don't know. I, I know it would be great to see him on the podium. Um, and I know that he's got a car that is quite good uh, for the next race, but I think it's going to take quite a bit for for that to work out. Um, maybe a few more tyre troubles like we had the last weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, just to pick up on Chris's replacement jinx, uh, if you go back one further to Van Dorn himself substituting for Alonso at McLaren in 2016, he picked up his first point then on his first race weekend. So. It is possible to um, to put in a good performance when you come in, and especially when you're someone like Nico Hulkenberg with the wealth of experience and the wealth of talent. Um, yeah, he's got every chance of getting a good result, I think. Uh, a podium might be a bit of a stretch, but if the right things play out, it could happen. And he's probably going to be down at Silverstone uh, at the factory for Racing Point, doing quite a lot of prep work on the simulator getting all the preparation he can get done so that when he hits the track on Friday, if he definitely does, because I don't think it's been confirmed yet. Um, but yeah, when he hit, gets to FB1, he's going to be on it, I think, um, ready to make up for the missed race. Certainly hope so. I mean, like, we, the fact is, Nico Hulkenberg shares something in common with Lewis Hamilton. They, they've won every championship in like, the lower formula they ever competed in. And whilst Hamilton's more, more than likely to equal Michael Schumacher, Hulkenberg barely get, gets a podium. It's it's, mm. it's honestly an anomaly, really. Like, why why has that happened? Um, so let's move on then. Hopefully, Nico Hulkenberg does get a podium, and it might be very unlikely. But let's concentrate on this weekend. And namely, I want to talk about two drivers in particular who are very much struggling to back their teammates. Firstly, we have Alex Albon who, from the second weekend in a row, was knocked out in Q2. Um, he did have a bit of a chaotic race and did a bit of a clumsy manoeuvre. But we, I think I was speaking about this with Aaron and Rob on the last debrief. Um, uh, Chris, I want you to take the lead on this one. Um, how, how do you think Albon is doing? And do you, do you think he can bounce back? Uh, certainly. I mean, to begin with, uh, good recovery drive. Don't agree with the um, penalty with... Uh, Magnussen. Um, I mean, Magnussen, he can put his car anywhere and it's like that That was not a penalty. That was a racing incident. But nowadays, stewards just give it out willy-nilly penalty-wise. Um, I think he was unlucky with the um, safety cars. Um, but he pitted and recovered to P8. I mean, a bit fortunate with the um, tyre blowouts and he probably would have sneaked maybe P10 otherwise um, uh, when it comes to pace I mean the car is a bit unstable still when it comes to the Red Bull um, for Stappen you can see he's an out and out racer everyone goes oh yeah the car's built for Max the car's built for Max and sometimes you can say that but then 
is the car for Mercedes built for Hamilton? Is the car for Ferrari built for Leclerc or uh, etc.? So um, it's just time. Time will tell. Um, he, he is a good racer, um, but is it, when it comes to Albon, I reckon that time will tell when uh, it comes to tracks that suit him better. Um, and unfortunately, some of those tracks have been taken off the calendar. Um, so he, he, he did. Um, but we're coming to some tracks as well when he actually drove the Red Bull, um, such as Spa and Monza. Um, uh, that when uh, Gasly got punterinoed out of it, um, so that there'll be the comparison to see that he's driven a Red Bull before, because um, he's not actually done a full season in the car. But we'll see. Um, I hold, I'll, I'll hold faith in a tie, so we'll see. Um, back in Austria, we we were talking about this many times in the last few podcasts. He was probably in the best position to, to win. And obviously that incident with Hamilton compared to that. Um, and I, I, was, I was just ask, asking last, last debrief with uh, Rob and Aaron, we, we, do we as F1 fans form an opinion of someone too quickly? Because if Albon had won that race, we'd be hailing him as a hero. He'd have been leading the championship because obviously the person who wins the first race leads the championship. Um, but now we're, we're really speaking of him in, in such a way now that could he now be demoted? Um, Red Bull seemed to, seemed to be on his side, but then again, they were on Gasly's side at this point last year. Uh, so, James, do you, do you honestly see Albon finishing out the season with Red Bull, or do you think he'll go to Alpha Tauri? Um, I do see him staying at Red Bull. Um... It's like you said, it's easy to form an opinion quite quickly um, of a driver. And I was looking back through Albon's results this year, thinking after Britain, um, after the British Grand Prix, thinking, yeah, he's in a bit of a, he's in a bit of trouble at the moment. He's in a bit of a slump. And then I look back and realise actually, yeah, in Austria, he was on course to get a first podium at least, if not the win. Had the unfortunate incident with Hamilton, but then the Styrian Grand Prix, he bounced back, was quite close to Verstappen in qualifying. Um, had a decent result in the race, I believe. And he was still like 40-odd seconds back from Verstappen. Yeah, but I, don't, I can't remember what result he got now. Was it fourth? fourth. Yeah, still, fourth place is pretty good. Um, when you consider like Gasly last year was struggling even to get sixth, um, which is the kind of bare minimum for a top three team. Um, and yeah, he Albon had a a pretty bad weekend in Silverstone. Obviously started with that big crash in FP2. Um, didn't get much running in FP3, out in Q2. But then in the race, he had um, an early pit stop that put him to the back of the grid and he still managed to battle back through into the points, which even if it was only eighth place, that's still quite impressive to get from the back and from quite far back as well. Um yeah, so he's, he's not having the best time. He's not gelling with the car at the moment in the way that Verstappen seems to be. He's not getting the most out of it. But I also don't think he's in quite the same position that Gasly was in last year because um, Gasly seemed to end up in a kind of downward spiral where these small issues like not having much time in a practice session, going out early and qualifying, they seem to just build and he seemed to not really know sort of how to get out of it in the end. And I think that was one of the reasons that Red Bull gave for, said they had to get him out of the teams because he just seemed to be in this state where he wasn't quite sure what to do next. And they had to kind of force that reset. But yeah, with Albon, I think the thing that I'm impressed by seeing, and I've heard Red Bull quite impressed as well, is that he come, even after he has a bad result, he comes back at the next race and it doesn't seem to knock him. Like, you know, in Brazil, obviously last year he had that, clash with Hamilton trying to overtake him for the podium and then first race of this season he finds himself behind Hamilton in contention for the podium and rather than thinking yeah I'll just hang back thinks no I can do it I can get this done and then even if it doesn't go right he still then comes back at the next race and doesn't seem to lag back um in like I said in Silverstone last weekend he you know didn't have any problems coming back through the field to eight so he seems to be able to put these issues behind him um 
And I think, yeah, I think Red Bull recognise that. I think they'll keep him in the car for the rest of the season. Whether he'll still be there next year is another matter. But, um, yeah, Albon seems to be able to, even if he has a bad weekend, just to be able to put it behind him and not carry it forward to the next weekend, which is a really valuable skill for any driver, but especially for a top team driver with such expectations on him. Exactly. And uh, Sam, I'm going to ask you to comment on this one. Red Bull really found themselves in a in a really difficult position after Ricardo left the team at the end of 2018. They put Gasly in the car, that didn't work. And they put Albon in the car. And it seems to be working a lot better, but it's still not ideal. Uh, do you think Red Bull are really have really shot themselves in the foot by, first of all, getting rid of Carlos Sainz out of the programme and how he's doing very well at McLaren and he'll be going to Ferrari next year? And do you think they really did are struggling as a result of not having that much talent pool because they keep like shoveling it all out, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, if you will? <laughs> you and I both know about a certain young driver that just done that too. Um, mm, yes. Carlos Sainz is... Um, is the one that got away. You know, as soon as, uh, when, they, when he was in the team with, I don't know whether I was the only one who saw this, but in the team with Max, yes, he was immediately on it as Max. Max has got that Lewis thing where you get in the car, go fast. That's it, doesn't need to warm up, doesn't need to do anything. Other drivers take time to get used to it. It's a big step from Formula 2 to Formula 1. It always has been, it always will be. So the Gasly thing, Yes, they should have given him more time. They should have at least given him the full season. I don't like this dropping a driver down, down, or you know, literally demoting them to their B team. Um, I think that was a wrong decision. I think Gasly's kind of proven that. Um, I think oh, I forget the other. What's the Russian guy? <laughs> you know, I'm bad. Yeah, uh, doesn't seem like though. <laughs> Again, you know, some people. It's a football analogy. Some people need to be shouted at and screamed at to get it right. Other people need an arm around them and say, be shown the love and said, this is all going to work out. You're doing fine. And this is now what they need to do to Alvin. I'm not sure Alvin really needs an arm around his shoulder, but they've got to stick with him. He is a class driver. He is one of the, th the three, the George, the Atlanta uh, and Alex. The three... Three drivers coming through at the same time, and all I know is technically tight, but they're all fabulous drivers. You can't compare a rookie to Max. You know, he, he's only, he hasn't had a full season in the Red Bull. You've got to give him a chance. And I do, you do see that fight, that hunger, that, that almost Daniel Ricciardo, you know, uh, in a, as he say, lick the stamp and send it. Um, I see that about him. I, I like the way he drives. Yeah, Albon, for me, he's always had... I think Gasly last year, he lacked that aggression, which we, we, we really need for the Red Bull. Um, Albon really has impressed me. He's always been the one who's always left out of conversations when referring to these bright new talent. He's always like that little discrepancy on the side. Um, I think you said about him needing a, a hand around, uh, an arm around his shoulder. He does seem to be a bit more of a sensitive type, and a lot of people seem to think that that's why Carlos Sainz seems to be performing so brilliantly at McLaren because it's such a, a nice welcoming environment and Red Bull has famously not been that. Um, but speaking of Red Bull drivers who are really struggling, I want to talk about, well, former Red Bull drivers, uh, Vettel. Um, James, we have seen Vettel really struggling this year. He hasn't qualified high, much higher than 10th, I think, all season, if I'm right. No, he, I think he's only qualified higher than 10th once. And whilst his teammate Charles Leclerc, the young upstart, um, has been getting two, has got two podiums to his name, Vettel really has struggled, and it's a bit of an anomaly. Um, I want your uh, I want your input on that part. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of hard to see like a four times world champion um, struggling as much as he is. And I when I was watching the Grand Prix at Silverstone, he was struggling to keep Gasly behind struggling to hold on to 10th place just thinking something isn't right here um and i know like chris alluded to earlier some people are saying oh the car's just designed for their lead driver they're not making it for vettel anymore they don't care about him but a team 
wouldn't do that. They wouldn't make a car that one of their drivers couldn't drive because then there's no point in even having it in the race. Um, but there's, there just seems to be something either Vettel's just missing that that drive that he had um, over the over his previous career, or there's just something about the car that he just can't get on top of. Um, and I know that when he was talking about his performance at the weekend, he said the car just felt like a total struggle to drive throughout and that he just couldn't seem to get into a rhythm with it. Um, yeah, there's there's just something Leclerc seems to be doing with it that suits him more. Um, Can I just obviously say, he's, yeah? Something that um, Vettel has got that Leclerc hasn't, that I don't care what anyone said, is going to play in the back of your mind. And that's a wife and three kids. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And he said at the start of the year, when obviously he was dropped by Ferrari in that, um, in the press release, he said, now's the time to, was it like to consider what's really important in life? And it did make me think he's got a growing family at the moment. And obviously everybody's had a long break before the season to spend time with their family they wouldn't normally be able to. Um, yeah, you, I don't know, seeing him at the moment, you do kind of get the impression that maybe he's just done his time, that he's just not got that enthusiasm for F1 anymore, which... If that car was, was competitive, that would be... Hmm. Because it's not competitive, he doesn't need to push it over the edge, push it that little bit further to get that extra point or to do, you know, get that extra podium. It's just not worth it. You know, exactly. I think you find that in life generally, you know, you go to work every day. And at some point you think, why am I doing this? Why am I going, doing that extra bit when I've done it? You know, I've been there, I've done it. Exactly. So if it was a case of, yeah, if it was a case of pushing it for a victory or a podium, then I think, yeah, he would totally have that drive and that passion. But when it's when you've got to just hassle the car to get into Q3 or you've got to fight every single lap just to keep one of the final points positions, you kind of lose that enthusiasm, I think. And I know that people have always said about Vettel, he's gonna, he doesn't care about F1, he's lost enthusiasm, especially after last year. But I remember an interview he did with Martin Brundle, I think, at, um, at Fiorano. And there was a moment where Brundle was driving one of the classic Ferraris round and Vettel turned to the camera with this like kind of wide-eyed grin and just saying, I hope I'm driving an F1 car when I'm that old. And it's hard seeing someone who loves the sport that much looking so dejected now. And like someone said, I think it is a case of the car's just not, it's not delivering enough for him to push it that extra mile that he always has done before. Chris, I want to ask you, um, you seem to always be the sort of person to say it as it is, which I respect. Um, a lot of people seem to believe that Ferrari are doing whatever they can to screw Vettel over. Because we always hear this about whenever a car, a driver isn't doing well, uh, it's always, oh, it's the team's fault. What do you honestly believe about all this? Especially as we saw that video of Christian Horner jokingly pointing at one of Vettel's like Ferrari courts and be like, oh, they got rid of your name tag. Um, so go on, what, what would you say to, to all this? I reckon the dog's had his bone. Uh, Vettel's, it, it's not, it's the secret's out pretty much that Vettel's either, he's not there for next year. He's either in the green of Aston Martin next year or the pink of Aston Martin if they keep delivery because that's what, that's what racing point is next year. Or he's going to just have to have it off because he's got his family now. He's he's not interested in Ferrari anymore. He's just there to make the numbers up. Um, I mean, put another one out there. Just you sound the stat man. Nicholas Latifi set a faster lap than him in the yes. entire race. <laughs> Wait, hang on. Um, Overall fastest lap? No, faster than. lap, fastest lap. One minute, one minute thirty, five three seven. Nicholas Latifi, one minute thirty, five oh one. Holy crap! That no, that I I'm finding that hard to believe. Honestly, that that doesn't mm. sound right. That's correct. <laughs> well, okay. Done better. Has anyone gone to Ferrari uh, as a winner, or even not, not as a winner, done whatever at Ferrari and left and done better? Can you think of anyone? Um, uh oh. I, I mean, thought- Prost obviously was fired and. Then went to Williams and won a championship, yes. but Prost is an exceptional. Nigel uh, Mansell. 
Nigel Mansell, but then again, Ferrari weren't particularly hugely quick. In yeah, they well, were driving think, a truck. No, actually, 89, the car was very reliable, uh, very unreliable. And then 1990, Alain Prost nearly won the title. And then so, uh, Ferraris in the 50s when it was, literally, it was like going back to the 50s when it was Ferrari versus Alfa Romeo, but that was at the back of the grid. And then, mm. then Ferrari and Alfa Romeo were fighting for the title at the, in the 1950s. But there we are. Um, the reason but, I say that is because I, I worry about Carlos Sainz going there. Because at the moment, he's in a, as you said, he's in a really happy place. He's in a team which is perfect for him. Brilliant teammate. Going to Ferrari in a car that's going to be uncompetitive, at least for the for next season, with the demands of the Tifosi, I just think it's... Um, you know, it's really brave or really stupid. I'm not, not quite sure what. Mm, well, I um, I imagine he was offered quite a lot of money, but then that isn't <laughs> it. He did sign it before the season began, so I don't think he really got a, an idea of how bad Ferrari were. Mm. Um, but he's put a positive spin on it all. I think he knows what what he's going to be um, expecting. To, going to be expected of him. I, I would hope he isn't trying like always playing second fiddle to Leclerc. I mean. It could be a case of, I think John Elkin, the chairman, uh, has said that, like, just completely taking the pressure off Ferrari for next year, and maybe they're sacrificing 2021 to then potentially get a head start on the the new revolutionary 2022 regulations, perhaps? What do you guys think? It's the only way forward for them, isn't it, now? They've got to concentrate on 2022, as most teams have. The only... Even even Mercedes will be doing that because they're so dominant. What's the point? You know, they're, they're going to be looking at 2022, which is a problem for everyone else. And we, <laughs> if Mercedes stays Formula One, wow. I think that was 2002. Ferrari didn't actually build a new car because their car was so mm -hmm. quick. Mm, well, that'll yes. be everyone. That'll be every team next year. They're not. But that was Mercedes. Oh, let's not build a 2019 car. But if if the racing point car is legal, let's just copy the. Yeah. <laughs> if it ain't Bring the 2019 then, car yes. back. Yeah. yeah. We've got McLaren to look forward to next year with a Mercedes engine. That mm. might yeah, I'm very interested to see how they'll do because it's the same car, but it was built for a Renault engine. I wonder what they'll have to do to really sort of adapt it for Mercedes. Yeah. There is a big relationship between Renault and Mercedes. Even in their road cars, they share a lot of information and parts so it's probably not going to be that that big a difference i would guess it's going to be a difference you know but it's all got to fit within a certain size a certain weight it's going to slip in a lot lot easier than than an engine from a one team to another would 10 15 years ago they are going to be a little bit hampered though because of the um the restrictions on like development and car changes for next year um because teams have been given a sort of token system to still be able to develop uh, their cars without bringing a whole new car. But McLaren, as I understand it, they need to use some of those development tokens to make the changes to the back rear of the car to fit the Mercedes engine in. So they're going to be a little bit back on the development curve, but with the, with the power of that Mercedes engine compared to the Renault, that hopefully should offset it. Oh. All right. Over a thousand brake. Mm. <laughs> Do we believe that? Do we really believe that, though? I don't think so. At, at top, in quality pace, yeah, with it's got four beans, but not during race because they just <laughs> the turned turn down very much. <laughs> right. As for the um, the actual race itself, um, so we saw that we we referred to that incident earlier with um, Albon and uh, Magnussen. Um, that was the only. That was only one of two major incidents throughout the, throughout the race. Because apart from the last few laps, it was boring. Um, but Kvyat had a very major incident, and um, around that that set of corners, which are some of the best in F one, in my opinion, Kvyat really was sent into a, into a trajectory which I, I don't think the they really had in mind. Um, that Silverstone is one of the uh, top tracks in this country for um, international grade racing uh, and Formula One obviously is the only championship in which an FIA grade A can allow it means that a track can host it um, but around that set of corners Kvyat his rear, his rear let go I think he had a tire delamination or something like that and he things to come 
Yeah. And he went through the gravel completely and then hit a concrete wall and then skipped over a bit of grass. Now, obviously, this isn't a huge issue for, for cars because car, car racing, you're, still, you're relatively cocooned. But for motorcycle racing, if a, if a rider fell there and went in that direction, that is going to be quite no. They're going to have to change it. I mean, we are we are in a, an era of major safety, but you can always get as safe as possible. And yeah, I think I'm quite looking at scape. But in terms of track design, do we look? We need. Do we? Should we like look further? Especially with what we saw at Silverson. Um, James, do you want to take that? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously F1 um, and the FIA generally are always looking at track safety and always updating things every year and every opportunity they can get. Um, yeah, I think it's a good point. Like you mentioned that nobody really expected an F1 car to go off that corner in that way. Um, it reminds me of in 2014, actually, at Silverstone as well, when Kimi Raikkonen went off on the opening lap and speared into one of the barriers and the race was delayed for about an hour while they replaced the barrier. And they said they, you know, they never expected a car to go off into the barrier at that point. So the barriers weren't, um, yeah, they weren't in the kind of same barriers as they were in other parts of the track. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a tough job for them because they've got to anticipate every kind of accident, every kind of incident at every point of the track. And obviously at some point you've got to prioritise some bits where there's more likely to be an accident, but yeah, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if the FIA learned from this and maybe put something in place, maybe alter the barriers at that corner a little bit or the runoff area or something. Um, I don't think it needs a full rethink of um, of Silverson's layout or anything like that, but yeah, there'll be a small tweak to the um, to the corner, I expect. Well, speaking, do you want to go, Simon? Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm just happy the fact that gravel is still in use. There's some jeopardy there where... And so many circuits now have extra tarmac, so when they go off, they can just right themselves and carry on racing. Whereas, you know, years back, you used to go into the gravel or the kitty litter, and and that was it. You were off. Well, the um, the the gravel itself. Uh, I I remember there was. You remember when they used to put on YouTube those um, driver meetings with Charlie Whiting, uh, the late Charlie Whiting. Yeah. Um, and uh, they, they, there was plenty of times when they were talking about replacing runoff with um, gravel. And the point that Charlie Whiten made was if you had a, a driver ahead of you who touched a bit of gravel, then the closing speed would become so much quicker and very dangerous. And then they would also bring gravel on the track. Um, if we remember in qualifying yesterday, Latifi and Hamilton both had spins around Bluffield, I think. And um, I brought some some gravel onto the track. Uh, and I, I'm all about making drivers uh, not suffer, obviously. You don't want them to suffer too much, but be punished for their error. Um, without it compromising others, there just doesn't ever seem to be a, a, a right way of doing it. What, what would you say to that, Chris? Sand. <laughs> well, I don't end up like Paul, Paul Ricard, like, you know, oh, let's just get away with it. Can... Yeah. That's my worst say... track. I, I, I'm sorry, sorry, French, but like Paul Ricard, I don't want it to be like that. But like, oh, I'm with you there. like I have like 700 layouts around, around one track. But like Silverstone, turn 18, they added gravel to that because everyone was just like Taking the winding the tracks. I mean, like this year as well, they've actually started doing um, track extensions and deleting um, qualifying laps and stuff like that. So like Austria. Um, they started abusing the um, corners um, at the um, second to last corner and then last corner. Um, and then Stowe to the, at Silverstone, as well as Cops. Um, Alban had a lap deleted, um, um, as well as uh, overtakes as well. I believe Gasly was a bit had to lift off on an overtake against Vettel um, in the race. So... It's nice that you know it's not track abuse is, is is sort of coming back as such, but and they're actually having to work for the overtake a bit more rather than just be, being a bit more lenient with that. Um, so I just, just like the fact, like the fact that it's you know 
punish the mistakes. Maybe not the case of oh, slow down zones and stuff like that, like they have in like, endurance races and stuff like that. But <laughs> yeah. Actually, on that point, um, so you want to obviously punish drivers for errors and all that. Um, sometimes a drive through and in motorcycle racing ride through penalties they tend to be a bit overkill now i don't know if you guys do, do, do any of you watch motor gp no. on highlights so in motor gp they have a system called long lap so on the tracks that motor gp and f1 have in common you will see on the f1 race it's like i think it's um around turn four that long hairpin like corner before you go onto the wellington straight you will see like a bit of tarmac off to the, the off to the left on screen, and um, it would be it's probably easier on a motorcycle because it's a lot thinner. I would like to see um, F1 take that up, having long lap penalties. You know, where if a driver has maybe like they've gone off track uh, by a set amount, however many times during a race, like all right, long lap penalty, uh, or maybe actually since we're since we're going to talk about it, Roman Grosjean, the way he was behaving. If you keep doing that, get a long lap penalty. Uh, since we're talking about him, uh, I, I do. Roman Grosjean's driving was very much getting the attention of a lot of the drivers, and for, not for the best of reasons. I, I think who was it? He got first. Was it was it Stroll or I know Ricardo was Science Science and Ricardo. Yeah, he um, he kind of rubbed them the wrong way. So. Um, uh, Simon, uh, Roman Grosjean's driving wasn't great, and he's the GPDA chairman as well. So, um, can you imagine those meetings? You know, where he's the one having all this thrown at him. Uh, well, actually, they're on Zoom at the moment, so we can appreciate that. Um, I just don't. I, I really worry about Roman. I, I don't think he's ever showed enough to to hold on to his seat. Yet yeah, he does. You know, he must have the best manager in Formula One because... Oh, he has dirt on Gene Haas. Yeah. I just don't get it. I, I really, he's accident prone at, at the best of times. Um, and speaking of someone who's accident prone themselves. Um, those, those two manoeuvres, just those little twitches. And when they spoke to him on the radio, he couldn't see a problem with it. That's what really got me. You know, the, why, are they, why are they giving me a warning? It was only, it's a wide track. It doesn't matter if you're a wide track, you were pulling into, into someone else's racing line. And he parked his car in the middle of the freaking maggots and Beckett's in front of Verstappen as well, and I was like, in practice, and I was like, <laughs> like what? Like... <laughs> Rojan is, Scott, sorry, did you, did you have something else to say there, Simon? Just no. The three of you, do you think he deserves to drive in form, to still be in Formula One? Honestly, Who wants to take with, that? All right, yeah, go with the. Um... I don't know. I mean, he is capable of, of good results. He is, he's got a lot of speed on his days. But honestly, I was so surprised to see him still in F1 this year. Um, after, yeah, after his last couple of years with Haas, he's had, um, I can't remember whether it was last year or the year before, he had like a run of races at the start of the season where he wasn't in the points. Um, and they crash behind the safety car in Baku. It's incidents like that that you just think, yes, he's got the speed, but when you've got someone like Nico Hulkenberg out of a seat, who's maybe not got the kind of same flash of pace, but he's got the consistency, it, I'm surprised that Grosjean is still there. Um, and yeah, we, we had a bit of a joke in Crew Towers the other day that either he brings something mega behind the scenes that we don't know about, like some kind of investment or technical yeah. feedback or he's got Gunter Steiner's nudes and he's threatened to threatening to leak them. Oh my um, god, Roma, do not disturb <laughs> you pictures of my penis. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's um I don't know, I I'd be surprised to see him there next year, but then like I said for the last few years I've been surprised to see him still on the grid. So who knows, he may well be. I thought he's a fast driver, but just too accident prone. Too there's too many too many mistakes mistakes and when he's at an age of the years now and you've got some brilliant young drivers that can't get from Formula 2 to Formula 1 you know it may, there, there has to be some sort of system where we say you know like, like a football analogy of relegation you're not good enough you haven't scored any points you haven't reached a certain level um, 
almost like a super different type of super license points. You haven't consistently done enough to run, to, to keep your seat. I do want to add, Grosjean's um, an anomaly because I remember he was rushed into his F1 debut replacing Nelson Piquet Jr. in 2009. Uh, didn't do brilliantly, um, but he had a lot of promise behind him. He was, um, he, he went on to become a GP2 champion, but he was contending that year with Nico Hulkenberg. Uh, not, yeah, Nico Hulkenberg, yeah, 2009, uh, for the GP2 title. He won the F3 Euro Series in 2007. Um, he, and then when he went to went back to Enstone between for 2012, he he was he could have won like a few races, Valencia 2012, Japan 2013. Um, he's got podiums in mediocre cars like 2015 at Spa when the bailiffs came to take stuff off of Lotus. He's obviously had some speed, but somewhere along the way, a lot of drivers they tend to have the speed and the recklessness and then iron out the recklessness. Grosjean's gone like the other way. He's lost his speed. There's something about it. It makes me angry because I know that he has been good in the past. But yeah, Haas just have the, their two drivers for me, like the two reckless ones and uh, paired up with the short temper of Gunther Steiner. It's just, it's, oh, I can only imagine how toxic that environment is. If you follow Apparently Netflix were of them this, this weekend, so there's your classic episode sorted for that. <laughs> if, you, if you notice these drivers, as they're reaching the end of their careers, they tend to have more accidents. I remember mm. DC, he was, the, the last season or so, it just became like, when is he going to go off? Or when is he gonna, something going to go wrong for him? And maybe it's the same with Roman, you know, it's just coming to, it's just gone a little bit too long. You know, you, you've had a chance... He's done pretty well. As you say, he's got podiums. Holt never got a podium. So I just think, you know, it's time to let a young man have the, have the drive. I would write him to DC, though. He, he, <laughs> he, had, he had an obsession. Nakajima had an obsession with him. With, uh, he would crash into him every 30 seconds. Like. <laughs> but I think DC said about that as well. Like, he, I think he said in 2008 that he came to the decision to retire when he realised he was being involved in all these incidents that he said, I realised the common denominator was me. And, you know, F1 drivers are very good at whenever they're involved in an incident saying, no, it's the other person's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. But yeah, at some point Grosjean's got to come to that realisation that the common denominator in these incidents he's involved in is him. And yeah, when you've got a team like Haas as well, that uh, there's questions about whether they're still going to be here next year about whether they're going to put up the money to stay in F1. They need two drivers who consistently get the points because if they're spending all this money for Grosjean to have an incident, to get a penalty, to lose points because of it, and especially when they've not got a great car at the moment. We need, you know, we need more teams, not less teams. Exactly, yeah. And they need somebody who can deliver for them and who can get the most out of the car. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The cost cap's coming in. And also, I remember hearing that apparently the reason why Haas stuck with Grosjean after last year was because of the impending 2021 regulations and they wanted some continuity, not a big mm. sudden change before another big sudden change. So by that logic, Grosjean's still going to be in F1 next year. Eesh. Mm. Right, well, let's, uh, let's move on from Grosjean. The race itself. So as I said earlier... Ball fest, completely all the way through. Then the end of the race happened, and Bottas's tyre punctured, Sciences punctured, and they both went in and lost point finish. And Hamilton, who I have to admit has so much luck he should put on the lottery, even though he doesn't need to, he managed to get a car two-thirds around the final lap to, to, to seal the victory because Verstappen... Uh, had he not picked him, what's to say that Verstappen's tyre couldn't go either? But had, the chances are that if Verstappen hadn't pitted, he could have won that race. So, yeah, we've got to talk about that those last few laps because that was insane. Who wants to go first here? I'll take it. Uh, well, it, it's going to be, he's always going to be remembered as the, the man now who won a, even won a Formula One race on three wheels. And Chris, Chris is sighing now. <laughs> no, no, no. It was, um, yeah, it was impressive. But really, 
as soon as um, as soon as Max pitted, they should have pitted Lewis. There was no reason for him to stay out on those tyres. I, I, that's my takeaway. I mean, yeah, it was brilliant. He did it. That he, uh, you know, he had the the nuts to do that, for want of a better word. Um, I just think they should have pitted him as soon as Bottas had gone in. You, you were potentially throwing away first place to nothing. So at that point, as a team, if I was a team principal, I'd be thinking, maybe I should bring him in. You know, worst case scenario, we're going to get third year. Um, so, what 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 was their thinking behind that? Well, I mean, it lucked out really. Both both Lewis and the the team lucked out getting him over the line. Yeah, I um, I I, I made a joke, and um, I think it was on one of Lewis Hamilton's Instagram pictures celebrating the win. Right. And he, um, I, I said, every other team's hopes are about as deflated as your front left. And he got a few chuckles. Um, it is, it was absurd how we managed that. James, what, what, what do you have to comment on that? Yeah, I, I agree with Simon. Like, um, it was very, very fortuitous that the tyre went where it did on the lap. Um, and that Hamilton was able to just, just get it over the line. Um, but yeah, I was surprised Mercedes didn't bring him in after Bottas's tyre went and with that gap to Verstappen. And maybe it wasn't quite enough to comfortably do it. But yeah, when it's the when it's the question of do we settle for second or third or risk having neither car's score. Um, but then obviously you wouldn't be a Formula One team with the record that Mercedes has if you were willing to sacrifice a win. Um, yeah, it was it was phenomenal watching. Um, yeah, watching him do that. Um, it reminded me a little bit of Alonso in Baku the couple of years back when he had two punctures and got it round half the lap to get it back to the pits. It's the kind of performance that you see from this, from these incredible talents and these incredible champions that they think, yeah, I've lost a wheel on my car, but yeah, I'm still going to win this race. I'm not going to pull over to the side. I'm still going to get it done. Uh, Chris, I want to talk to you specifically about the fact that these tyres let go at all. Um, apparently the teams were really... Because the safety car for Kvyat came out around lap, was it 10, 20, something like that? What was it? Lap? It was, Which lap? Uh, lap? Lap 19. Lap 19. So it was on the cusp of when they could go in, apparently run the... Sorry, my mistake, because the tyres are supposed to do 40 laps and they'd only done 36, I think it was. Well, the, the fact that they let go anywhere... And there's now talk that for this weekend's 70th anniversary Grand Prix, um, they, they were thinking about going a step softer. So the harder tyres are now what? The harder tyres for this weekend would be what the medium tyres were for last weekend. Yeah. Um, are, we, are they really going to follow through on that now? Or are they really going to have to reevaluate things? They can't, they can't change the race layout. The only change they can make to the race is a tyre compound. Only thing that will be different. The name's the same for the 70th anniversary race, but the track is exactly the same. Only difference again is those tyres. So it's going to be a two-stop race, in my opinion. They can't. They won't risk going, going one stop. Will they? Uh, uh, Chris, well, well, what I'd do is that you could just bump the front front pressures up a little bit and back pressures up a little bit, and just make it either a mandatory you run every single compound, something like that. But. Um, when it comes to the pit stops, just quickly going back to what I was saying, um, Hamilton didn't have the gap on Verstappen, um, so that's why they didn't risk it. Um, Red Bull stand by a decision not to, to to pit because they wanted the fastest lap, and I think he had like 50 cuts in his front right because mm. um, it was absolutely shot to pieces. And uh, but that's unfortunate again. Go back to Baku, where did his tyre pop? Over the front line. Silverstone where did his front line. You know oh, I mean? horrible luck. <laughs> unlucky, unlucky. And then he's had three, three title-winning cars, for, and every single time he goes into the fourth or fifth race, he's, his car goes Hamilton. Oh no, no luck at all. He's had oh, I've had the second MG UK. He's <laughs> <laughs> um, a lucky boy. <laughs> um, yeah. Hamilton is, I have to concede, he is very lucky. Sorry if you were going to make a further point there. Uh, I was just going to say that he's a sort of, if his, if, his, if his tire popped at the same place, it could have been, 
I think um, he lost 28 seconds in the last lap and Bottas lost 45, 46 seconds on his tyre lap. So, Well, that was, that was because um, uh, Hamilton's let go at Luffield, whereas Bottas is let go, go around Vale. That, that's what I'm saying. So if they both popped at the same time, Hamilton would have been third. And he, he'd have still got on the podium. But, mm. but one thing I like to make about Bottas is that he had the freshest tyres of the lot. He was yeah, right that behind, is a good point. He was right behind Vettel going into Stowe and he didn't even make a move in on him. He, and, and into the Abbey chicane, didn't make a move onto him. So people going, oh, um, oh, Bottas, um, I, don't, I don't rate him. If you, if you, if you look back on the, on the last lap, Bottas, he shouldn't be in that car. Who would you put in the car? Not, not Bottas. They should look. Get, get Russell in that car. You don't think Bottas is in there because he's, uh, once the kind word, a number two? He, he's a Barrichello. Yeah, exactly. He's a Barrichello. Let's call him a Barrichello driver. No offence to Barrichello. I'll treat Bottas Kello. <laughs> You're marrying him up. Barrichello or a Massa? There's always... Well, I am. Um, since you are the stat man, I did read something the other day. Um, apparently, every single teammate of Lewis Hamilton's has gone for like. Uh, so Fernando Alonso was his teammate at McLaren for one season. Then Kovalainen was his teammate for two seasons. Button for three seasons. Rosberg for four. And if Bottas, well, he is going to be there next year. Hamilton and Bottas go for a fifth season. Stands to reason, 2022 onwards. Hamilton stays for another six years with Russell as his teammate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hamilton wants three more years, apparently. I wouldn't put it past Lewis to do a Roger Federer and, and, and still be winning a much later age. Do you remember, how old was Schumacher when he won his last championship? Um, it was 10 years after his first, and I believe he was 24, 23? No, he was 25, because he was born in 69. And he won his first title in 94, so he would have been 25 and then 35 in 04. So Lewis is 33? He was born in 85, so 30, yeah, he's 35 now, isn't he? Yeah, 35. He's going to equal Schumacher's record in the... Se- oh, yeah, that's another thing. Um, <laughs> so I was just going to say there, Schumacher um, got, got, got his seventh title at 35, same with... Hamilton, it seems, um, but maybe a bit too presumptuous to say. But also, you know, remember when Hamilton equaled Schumacher's pole record at Spa in 2017 and then beat it at Monza? If he were to win the 70th anniversary Grand Prix and the Spanish Grand Prix and then the Belgian and Italian, he will, uh, he will equal Schumacher's win record at Spa and beat it at Monza, assuming he wins all the next few races. Isn't that a bit poetic in a way? Like, equaling the pull and win records at the same tracks and then beating them at the same track. And you're gonna, he's going to outdo it. He's going to outdo it, um, Magello. Isn't he? No, no. He's on 80, 88, 87 now. So, he's on 87. He's on 87. So the 70th anniversary race will be 88. Spanish Grand Prix, that will be 89. Yeah. And then 90. Oh, no. I, I've had that completely wrong. All right. Never mind me. Um, he's going to do it in Ferrari's back garden which is going to be more oh. freaking <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of that do we really think because the closest we ever got to a 100% record for one team in Formula 1 history in terms of winning all the races it was 1988 um, McLaren all but one of, their, one of the races that year was won by them by Prost or Senna the only one that wasn't was Monza, fittingly enough, and it was won, fittingly enough, by a Ferrari. Um, Gerhard Berger only, I think it was the first race after Enzo Ferrari's death as well. So very fitting. Do we honestly believe that Mercedes are going to win every race this year? Yep. Yeah. 93.8% <laughs> ratio um, they had. Um, I put out on the old uh, Twitter site, and I think it was a 65% favouring. Um, of everyone thinking that it's going to happen unless they take each other out. 
<laughs> I kind of hope they do. I don't want to like I I I'm, I like Mercedes. I like Hamilton. Um, I know there are a lot of people who don't want it to be a ball fest, but I really don't want to have every race. Like, who is the most likely driver on the grid to win a race other than the Mercs? Verstappen. Do you agree, James? Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe not on on pace at the moment, but if something goes wrong with the Mercedes, then he's the one that's so far always been just behind them to pick up the win. Um, as for whether Mercedes are going to do, going to win every race this year, I don't think they will. Um, I'm going to go against the grain with it. I think there's a good reason why no one's done it so far. Um, even in the years, you know, and there have just been sort of eight races in the championship um, because there are so many variables in Formula One and you can make you can make a car that's a second and a half, two seconds quicker than the rest of the field, but you can never ensure that it's 100% reliable or that your team or that your drivers aren't going to crash into each other or uh, hit a back marker like Senna did at Monza in 88. You can never quite ensure that something isn't going to go wrong. So... I think I'll count the, uh, um, the racing point cars as Mercedes here. So we <laughs> not. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I think they'll come very, very close. I think car. And uh, like I said, well, Hamilton took a MGUK second thing. You don't know how long the season is this year. Mm. And they look quite yeah. vulnerable in Austria as well with their um, avoid the curbs, please policy. That's a good point. They've had a few, maybe not so much on the works team, but with the Mercedes customer teams, there have been a few reliability issues. Um, so they're not 100% bulletproof. Um, but then, obviously, the Mercedes, they know how to run their cars. Um, they've known over the last few years how to how to nurse one at home if it's got a problem. Um, yeah, I think they'll come very close, but I wouldn't be surprised to see just one race where something goes wrong like in Germany last year, where you just had this perfect storm. And yeah, it probably will be Verstappen coming through to pick up the pieces after that. My guess is Imola, because Alfa Tori will give Red Bull the information they got from the pre-season <laughs> test. David, do you want to say anything? No? Okay. Well, on that note about Red Bull, um, apparently this weekend, for the 70th anniversary Grand Prix, it's going to be somehow even hotter, because Friday practice... Um, the uh, uh, it was baking. It was like one of the hottest days, hottest days in Britain, and the t- and it was apparently a lot closer between the Red Bulls and the and the Mercedes. Um, if this weekend it's going to be hotter on race day, do we really see Red Bull taking the fight to them? Time to on their tyres, supposedly, historically. What's it going to be? Thirty three on Friday, thirty three Saturday. Sunday's slightly slightly corner of 27, so by the time we get to Sunday, I think it'll be you know, back to normal if they do have any, any advantage. Do we... Um, be closer, but not close enough. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll be not in the fight, but less out of the fight than, than they already are. Oh. Maybe able to get between the two Mercedes, but I don't think, I don't think they'll be challenging for the win outright. It'll be like Hungary. It'll have bought us, but not Hamilton. Yeah. Um, I, one, one more thing before we end off. Um, when they announced that there were going to be double rounds, du- uh, tracks doubling up on the schedule this year, I, um, I, I was curious as to what they would refer to them as. Obviously, we have Austria getting the Styrian title for their second race. But then Silverstone gets this 70th anniversary Grand Prix. And I don't know about you guys, but I really like the idea. I, I think... 2030, what will I be? Like 33 years old. I don't know how old you lot will be. Um, but imagine like if we could have like an anniversary Grand Prix, like the week after Silverstone, every 10 years. Uh, do, do, do you think obviously with the exceptions being made this year due to the um, COVID-19 pandemic, limiting travel, uh, but could we perhaps see what would this happen? Like I would love to be able to go to Silverstone in 10 years time to watch two Grand Prix in seven days. Yeah, well, we um, non-championship events, didn't we? Mm. Yeah, I mean, like Indy 500 was a non-championship event to a certain extent, and why not use the old pit lane as, as just for anniversary event? Yeah, that... that They're was, there. You know, they're not being used. I guess yeah, you can use for the test days. 
why not use them for the race? You got all the gear, and it might be a pain in the backside to move it from pit lane A to pit lane B, but and it also mixes it up right, for a new Formula Two cars in pit lane B. Formula, well, they would yeah. go to the um, the wing, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, because other weekends like F two and F three share the F one pit lane if there isn't an alternative one, so they would be able to manage it. They would be like in the little paddock area out the back. Mm. There, there was always, I know, I'm close with uh, people at Carlin, and they always, there's always like a, 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 I think in Monaco they use some kind of like car park, which is like a kilometre up the road or something. That, they drive down hills, didn't they? Like poor yeah, so, as well and stuff like that. They like you see them driving down the Riviera to get to the grid yeah. because there's no there's no room. <laughs> Yeah. Use a multi-story car park in Monaco, don't they, for various yeah. things. Yep. So, that has been the debrief for the British Grand Prix and the site preview for the 70th anniversary Grand Prix this weekend. I have been Luca, uh, together with James, Simon and Chris. Um, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, who wants to give out their social media profiles? James, do you want to go first? Uh, yep, yeah, I'm on Twitter at James16Matthews. Uh, Simon? Well, F1 Taxi. The F1 Taxi and Chris? And I'm on Twitter at C underscore Lordy91. Um, I nearly messed up here because I've recently changed my um, my social media profile. So I was about to say my old one, but now I can <laughs> say my new one. I, on Twitter, am RedLuca56, my new um, social media presence. Uh, old one is out the window. I was looking forward to doing this podcast so I could get my new one out there. So if anyone tried to follow me between me changing my social media name and now from previous debrief, yeah, now you know. All right, thank you very much for joining and we will see you out on track. <laughs>